over the course of our Church Without Walls sermon series, we've talked about the first followers of Jesus, the, the early church, and um, in, in going through the book of Acts, we've witnessed a church uh, that is diverse in the sense that the church does not have one emphasis or hold to one specific value. Um, but on the other hand, the church values many things, engages in various types of behaviors. We've seen believers focused on the life and ministry of Jesus and motivated to tell others about Jesus Christ, evangelizing, sharing their faith. We've seen new believers uh, share their lives with one another, building relationships, uh, developing a community or, or even giving radically and generously. We've seen the church uh, praying together, gathering in the temple courts, praising God, worshiping God. We've seen them going into their homes and, and sharing their faith and sort of uh, infecting their culture both inside the temple and in their homes and throughout the streets. And so the church in Acts, as we see it, does not focus on any one thing, but, but the church has many things that make up its constitution, many things that, that, that make up the church as we come to know it, uh, even in the early part of the book of Acts. We're just in chapter 4, and we've seen all these things. We've seen the church focus on the miraculous wonders of God. There are miracles that have been worked. Uh, the gospel is being preached. People are being baptized. People are accepting and being saved. People are hearing tongues that are spoken, uh, unlearned tongues, the gospel in their own language. So, so that there are many things that characterize the the church, even in the first few chapters of Acts. And, 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 and so, so as we come this morning, I want to remind you of that because the church is not focused, for example, on justice without also focusing on worship. The church doesn't focus on building relationships without focusing on the importance of evangelism. The church focuses on all of these things at the same time, and that is what the people of God are. And so this morning, we're going to focus on another one of those aspects of the early church in Acts chapter 4. The focus is on prayer, this, this language of the people of God encountering God in prayer. So if you have your Bibles this morning, most of the passage of Acts 4 verses 23 and 31 is a prayer. Most of the text is a prayer. And I, and I, and I want to say that because in order to uh, be respectful of the text, we can't just preach prayers. We have to say them. And I, I want to ready you for that because later on we're going to spend time doing what this text actually is, and that is prayer. Before that, I want to point to a couple of things, a couple of themes, and, and invite you, if you have your Bibles or if you can look to the screen, to read with me this passage in Acts chapter 4. Will you read with me if I cut out, since I have other things uh, to say, you guys keep going. So let's read this together, all right? Let's go. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers 
and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Keep going. Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for us. I should point out at the beginning um, that Peter and John are coming back from the Sanhedrin Council. They, they're coming back with, uh, depending on how you look at it, good news or bad news because they've been interrogated and uh, the potential threat is there, is looming because the council members didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get to punish the apostles. And so Peter and John are coming back to these believers, explaining to them what has happened. And the people's immediate response was not flippant, but it was deliberate and biblical prayer. And I need to say that in order to say this, that they did not respond immediately by praying because they were an especially spiritual people. They didn't respond uh, with this this biblical prayer that draws from Psalm 2, that draws from the Old Testament because they were especially good or really moral people. They responded by praying because the Holy Spirit put in them, initiated in them, this desire to pray, gave them this spark, if you will, to pray. And, And the same Spirit that fills them in verse 31 after the prayer. The same spirit that fills them with boldness to preach the word is the spirit that draws them to pray in the first place. J.I. Packer and Carolyn Nystrom uh, wrote a book entitled Praying. And in their book, there's a quote that I want you to see. Um, J.I. Packer is a systematic theologian. Carolyn Nystrom's a writer. And this particular quote is probably uh, belongs to more J.I. Packer than Carolyn Nystrom because it's it's a long sentence. It's it's a theologian sentence, really. And I want us to read this together because it talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. 
The overall thrust, they say, of the Spirit's many ministries to each believer is to ever deepen, enrich, and make closer our fellowship with the Father and the Son and prompting us to intercessory involvement with both is one of the means by which he achieves this end. They're saying here that the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to draw us to the Father and the Son and to enrich the relationships that we have with God. And so the Spirit does that in many ways. And one of the vehicles, one of the avenues that the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit draws us into this fellowship with God is by prompting us into intercessory prayer, bringing us into prayer, and this is one of the means that the Spirit uses to fulfill our engaging with God. This is what's happening here in Acts chapter 4. The church, because the Spirit has uh, sparked in them this this enriching uh, potential for relationship with God, has placed in these believers this immediate response of praying when they hear Peter and John. They're coming, and and, and Peter and John are coming, and and, and they respond to what they're hearing because the Holy Spirit creates this immediate response of prayer in these believers. And right away, you get to see in Acts 4 that the people pray scriptural prayers, and they start their prayer by focusing on one of the attributes of God, one of the characteristics or qualities of God, and that is God's sovereignty. They address their sovereign Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, sovereignty is a theological word, but it's also a monarchical word. It's a word that has to do with rulers and kings and and, and despots. And so the, the people of God here call God sovereign, and sovereignty means that God controls and manages or handles or superintends the creation that God makes. And so when they say that God is sovereign, they are saying that God is able to handle created order, the created order or the creation. God who is sovereign is powerful enough or able enough to answer prayers, to rule the nations. One of the psalmists says uh, about God's sovereignty that our times are in God's hands, that, that our seasons, the seasons or phases of our lives are in God's hands. And that is because God is not just creative, but sovereign, but over us, controlling the circumstances of our lives. Now, now, right away, some of you are probably thinking like me that if God is over our times, controlling our times, if God is as the church calls him sovereign, does prayer really work? This business of God's sovereignty, God's Power, God's ability, uh, they're, they're praying and speaking to God as if prayer actually works. But some of you probably have experiences where you're left wondering whether God truly is in control, whether God really is sovereign, whether God controls your times. 
So this prayer language in, in Acts is a little tricky. It's, it's a little tricky, um, and, and, and I want to suggest to you um, that you take something, maybe on credit, uh, maybe on faith, maybe on trust, that, that when we pray, we're praying to God who knows what we do not and God who answers after considering what we cannot. So that if God knows aspects of your life that you do not, God answers your prayers with information that you also cannot have. And, 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 and this, this has to inform our conversation about God and even how we look at prayer. And it is a faith claim. It is something you need to trust because you need to have a sense that the God who you pray to, if you pray, and all of you may not, but, but you need to have a sense that where you go is greater than you. Now, some of you are trying, uh, trying to relate to this language of prayer, and maybe you're not an especially prayerful person, uh, you're not necessarily a person who prays, and there may be reasons for that. Maybe you're not a, a Christian. Um, but, but can I suggest to you that all of us go somewhere, all of us go someplace when we're at our weakest, when we're in need, when we don't have, when we're inadequate. And the question is whether that place, that person, that thing is powerful enough to control your life, to handle what it is you pray for. And if the place, the person, the thing you go to is not able to do, even outside of your understanding, then that thing is not sovereign. So for some of you, I want you to think about this question, and that is, is the place I go to when I'm in need, when I'm weak, when my hands are weakest, is that place, is that God, is that person Sovereign is that person in control. Pastor Peter, a few weeks ago, gave us a compelling way to talk about the sovereignty of God. And you may remember that we pronounced this, recited this together, and I want to rehearse it in your hearing um, uh, this morning, uh, talking about God's, not just God's sovereignty, but God's love and God's wisdom. And he said that God in his wisdom knows what is best for me. God in his love desires what is best for me and God in his sovereignty has the power to bring it about. God in his wisdom knows what is best for me. Now, I probably should say uh, that, that what God knows is different from what you know. So when we talk about what is best for the church, what is best for us individually, what you think is best may not be what God thinks is best. And the question is, do we want our prayers to be answered based upon what we believe is best or by a God who is sovereign, who, are, who is steps ahead of us, who knows the end from the beginning, and that we trust that God in his wisdom knows what is best. 
God in his love desires what is best, and God in his sovereignty has the power to bring it about. Prayer, uh, when prayer focuses on God's sovereignty, God's love, or God's wisdom, when we focus our, our prayers and our communication to God on God, we automatically get to see something about God. And, and I think that prayer is not just about saying things to God, but it is also so walking away, seeing something about God, seeing something different. And not only do we walk away from prayer seeing God differently, but we walk away seeing ourselves differently. When we use language about the sovereign God who creates the heavens and the earth, who rulers and nations are subject to, we can't help but see ourselves and what we can and cannot do. Does that make sense? If God controls my times, I don't control my times. If God is able to handle the phases of my life, I am not able to handle the phases of my life. If God is able to give me boldness to confront my life, I can't manufacture boldness on my own. If God is able with the same spirit that raises Jesus from the dead to fill me and give me power to proclaim truth, I can't create that on my own. The church in Acts chapter 4 anchors its language, anchors its prayer, everything it says in the sovereignty of God. The church comes after hearing the apostles' news to God and says that God's ability to humble nations and rulers is greater than its ability. And if we look back in Psalm 2, because they're drawing from Psalm 2 in Acts 4, you'll see and you'll notice it even here in Acts 4 that, that this prayer doesn't just talk about God's sovereignty, but it questions in the context of this prayer. And the question that comes up is why? Why? Over and over again. And, and there's no sense that, that the people in Acts 4 or even in Psalm 2 and some of us get, get the answers to the why questions when we pray. And can I tell you that it's fine to come to prayer with questions. It's biblical. It's right. Where else do we go to ask why? But, but even though we ask questions, we may not walk away from our prayers with answers to our questions. We may not walk away with answers to our questions, but we always walk away from talking with God, from listening to God with an image of God with an understanding of God that is different. And today it's God's sovereignty. It's God's ability. It's God's power to create what we cannot create. It's God's power to bring boldness to give us the ability to do what we can't do, the ability to say what we can't say. God's sovereignty is not like our power 
or our mini sovereignty. God, God doesn't do things and rule kingdoms the way we would because this is, this is the God, after all, they say, that, 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 that uses as his servant King David, whose life is jacked up. Who uses King David on the one hand, and on the other hand uses Jesus, who's poor, who's homeless, and who dies after being convicted of capital offense. This God who is sovereign doesn't approach ruling the way most of us would. This is a God who uses on the one hand as servant Rahab and on the other hand Mary. Now, now if you can't get more twisted than that, and yet it is this God who is able and powerful and sovereign. The language of this prayer and the language of our prayer, even when we don't have answers to questions, what does this sovereignty mean? Is this actually logical? Does this make sense? I mean, well, whose sense? Your sense or God's sense? Who's, who's logic? This has to anchor the language that we use when we talk to God. When I was looking at this passage, I learned um, that the church, and, and it's, a fine, it's a fine distinction or a fine sort of thought that you might miss, that when Peter and John are coming to their, their, their friends, these new believers, they're out in the streets, and these people are praying in the streets. They're not in the synagogue. The synagogue is a place for Bible study, for preaching, for proclamation. They're not in the synagogue. They have prayer services like in Acts 3. They're not going to the prayer service, so they're not in the temple. They're in the streets, and the Holy Spirit is giving the church language in the streets that talks about the sovereignty of God. And the Spirit gives them boldness. They talk about God stretching out God's healing hand. They talk about God hearing the threats of their enemies. They say, they say in this prayer, you will stretch out your hand to heal. You will perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus, your servant, but give us the boldness to do what we need to do. They're saying, God, you will perform miracles. You will work wonders. You will bring people to yourself. You will perform things outside of our understanding, but give us the ability to be bold to do what do we need to do? Give us the ability to be bold to speak the truth, to tell people about Christ, to tell people what they need to hear in order to learn about this suffering servant who is not only a servant, but who is Lord and Messiah. Give us boldness. So there is something that God does, and the Holy Spirit doesn't leave God with all of the work. There's something that we do. And the Spirit gives us boldness. So that prayer here enables preaching, that communication with God or communion with God equips us to communicate with people who do not know God. Talking to God and listening to God enables us to speak to and hear people who are interested in Jesus, who are wondering about the resurrected Lord. 
prayer gives them the ability to say things about God, to proclaim truth about God, and to see the mighty, powerful work of God. As I say that, church, what comes to mind for you? When you think of the church in Acts and our church, the church today, embodying this spirit-given, bold community who prays, who speaks to God and who asks God for boldness, who speaks to God and asks God to let them see signs and wonders. What does it tell you about the church, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters? What, What does it tell you that the church should do, should be, should see. And this is where you, if you have an answer, offer it. Change, okay. Say that if that is your voice is too deep. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Be relaxed and wait for God to move. First and foremost, seek the Lord. Be prayerful. Sounded like glossolalia. Um, uh, say, okay, you first, Frank. Uh, Kevin, you first. Love and trust the Lord. Darius, did you say? Did you hear him? Claim the boldness that the Spirit provides. Okay. Just be still. Turn off the noise and listen. Anyone else? Say that God will remind us of how powerful He is when we get distracted. Mm-hmm. Pray for God to remind us when we get distracted, when we forget. One more person. Let our actions determine what we believe in. Or let our beliefs determine our actions? Is that? So it sounds like there's, there's, there, there are all these ways that the church can live into this. All the way from, from, from pausing and waiting for God to speak and hearing God and listening to God, all the way to acting after you encounter this God, acting boldly after you experience this God, so, 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 so that the Spirit equips us to hear and to do, to, to, to speak and to do, to, to, to pray and to commune with God and to act and live and to behave with each other as if what we saw when we communed with God actually matters.
They pray for boldness. And in a moment, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray. And I want you to kind of prepare your heart because, because some of you may be here and you may not be particularly ready for prayer. You, you may not be interested even in praying. You may, you may um, consider yourself on the fringe or even altogether outside of this believing community. So when we talk about the believers in Acts, you're detached, you're, you're disconnected from it. And I want to honor that. I want to honor that some of you, some of you are there. But can I tell you that, that, that the behavior of the church is praying. And this is what the church does. That the church worships, certainly, that the church evangelizes and tells people about Jesus, but the church also prays. The church sees and encounters a God who works miracles, who brings people to faith, but the church also calls upon God and engages with God, asking hard questions, claiming truths that are beyond them at the moment. And so, and so I'm going to invite us to do what this text actually is, and that is pray. Andy, I, I'm going to ask you to come, come on up. And, and, and I'm going to sort of set up a couple of guideposts for us as we, as we pray uh, this, this afternoon now. There are all kinds of ways to pray, but, but, but I want to start by giving you an opportunity to do some biblical praying. Now, again, some of you, this does not readily connect with, but I'm going to put up a, a psalm. Rachel, can you put this psalm up? Psalm 130. And, and allow you to look at the words in this poem, the words in this, in this prayer, and to grab a word or a phrase that comes to you, that, 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 that snatches you, if you will. And, and we'll scroll down these eight verses in this musical number for you to read through it, scan through it. And if there is a word, it, it doesn't have to be uh, God. It can be anything. If, if there is something that captures you, allow, allow your heart to rest with what you see, what captures you. And may that be for a few moments a prayer for you. We'll do that for a few minutes. We'll read through these psalms continually. And, and Andy is going to sing, uh, and, 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 and we'll eventually join him as he sings. But I want you to allow this time to be time where you pray something from these words that you see. I'll come back in a little bit, and we'll go from there. Love the way to be bold, the way for God to, to equip us. After the resurrection of Jesus is by kneeling at the cross of Jesus. And, and some of you may be here, and, and, and we're going to pray in a few moments together. But I want to invite those of you who would like to come to the cross or to the altar to do that. If you, if you want to come and kneel before the cross, if you want to come and kneel before the front, you're able to do that this, for, for, for the next few moments because we're going to pray. And I want to suggest to you uh, something that I really got out of a conversation. I was talking with, with Mimi the other week and one of our, one of our leaders and uh, Mimi, Mimi had told me she had run from Logan Square to, uh, to U.S. Cellular, to Cellular Field. And, you know, I asked her, I said, what possessed you to do that? Should I be worried, you know? 
um, are you mad? And, and, and she told me, she said, she said, no, I'm training for a marathon. And her marathon's in a couple of weeks, and so she's sort of training for it. And I said that because a part of the reason why we pray, a part of the reason why we commune with God, why we sit in the presence of God and speak to God or hear God, is for us to prepare for ministry that has to be bold, for mission that will require courage, for life that will require heart. And, and so as, as we pray, would you keep before you what the church is preparing for? Not a marathon, but, but a life where people need to engage with the reality of Jesus. And so as we pray, as we pray, would you have that in your mind? Would you, there, there's so many things in, in Acts 4 that we could pray about. There's language about the history of the city. Uh, so we could pray about our city. We could pray about what we've seen in the news, the wars in Gaza. We could pray about the economy. There's so much I could suggest to you that as a church we pray about, that we need to pray about. And so over the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to collect yourselves in groups of three or four and to spend time praying. We're not going to pray all day, all night, so, so don't get concerned, don't get worried. But we are going to spend time praying. And so if, if you want to come into the front and kneel, you're welcome to do that. But in a moment, we'll collect in groups and spend time praying. Spend time in, in the way of Acts 4, calling upon the sovereign Lord. Before we do that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask that you anchor that in a reminder of who God is. And, and, and we're going to sing another chorus, just a chorus that points to an attribute of God, that God is, is awesome, that God is awesome. So, so I'll invite you to stand as we, as we sing that he is awesome, that you are awesome in this place, mighty God. And, and we'll pray hearing that in our hearts, hearing that in our ears, because we pray to a God who not only knows what we're going to say, but who is able to work miracles, able to do wondrous deeds. Just God, our trust this morning is in you. When we look at our world, we don't find reason to hope. And so let this moment be a reminder, God, that our hope is not in the world, that our hope is not in our politicians, that our hope is not even in the people around the world, but that our hope comes from you, that our hope is found in you. We cannot expect peace nor have the courage to pray for it. We cannot expect justice nor have the courage to look for it apart from you. So Spirit of God, we pray this morning that you would continue to fan in us the flame of your justice, to fan in us the flame of your vision for your world. This is not our world. This is your world. So we come, God, saying, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. This is your creation. You are able to do what we can't fathom, what we can't understand. So, so we come, God. We come boldly this afternoon 
saying do something. We come boldly as your children saying, Father, turn your ears to the cries of of the children of this world, of men and women who are hungry, who are molested by their circumstances. We come to you saying, God, turn your countenance in our direction. Would you look? Would you have mercy? Would you stretch out your hand to heal? Do this not for our glory, not for the name of any particular church, but do this so that your name can be praised. Do this so that we forever will clap our hands and lift our voices and say, you are sovereign, you are able, you are creative, and you are God. We have the courage to say, do these things that we've prayed for in our lifetime. You who make mountains tremble. Nothing is too difficult for you. Certainly not these things we've prayed for. Nothing is too difficult for you.